Welcome to the Heart of Leaders podcast, where each week we'll be exploring the frontiers of leadership with those who lead from the heart and put their people first, knowing that ultimately all team accomplishments are driven by people. They know that when they take care of people, their people will take care of customers, delivering lower costs, driving customer loyalty, and company profitability. These leaders believe that for most companies, culture trumps strategy. And culture starts with how you treat your people and how they treat each other. That will be the topic for this episode. I'm your host, Rick Barrera, head of faculty at the Center for Heart-Led Leadership in Denver, Colorado, where we teach heart-led leadership to the extraordinary leaders who want to learn how to build and lead high-performance teams who can consistently deliver exceptional results. I'd like to share an old story with you that might help you to remember our Heart of Leaders mantra. It's the story of the 21st Century Factory. It's believed that the 21st Century Factory will be run by robots and artificial intelligence. It will have no lights because robots and AI don't need lights. It will be staffed by a single man and a single dog. The man is there to feed the dog. The dog is there to make sure the man doesn't touch anything. So here's our Heart of Leaders mantra. The team is there to accomplish the goal. The leader is there to serve the team. If you live the mantra, the rest will fall in place. We Before Me is the first core principle of heart-led leadership because it's the most important. If you look at virtually all organizational or team dysfunction, you will find selfishness at the source. From competition for resources, recognition, or promotions, to the ego-driven need of an individual to take responsibility for team wins. And the list goes on. Isn't selfishness a natural human tendency? Yes, absolutely. Yet, at the core of most human progress, you will find cooperation. We are cooperative animals. That's why we form families. It's why we live in cities. And it's interesting to note that even as technology is allowing us to work from anywhere, more of us are choosing urban living. Average incomes are higher in urban areas because there are simply more opportunities to collaborate in ways that take advantage of our skill sets. Co-working spaces are the hottest play in real estate. Incubators are birthing one disruptive company after another. Why is social media exploding? Because people are social animals. We move ahead by working together. We before me. Will and Ariel Durant were historians who wrote an 11-volume masterpiece called The Story of Civilization that was over 10,000 pages. Then they summed it all up in 117 pages in a book called The Lessons of History. I was dumbstruck while reading the book when I encountered this quote. Life is competition. Cooperation, wherever and whenever we found it to exist, in nature or in man, it was a tool and a form of competition. Wow! So how do we compete against other companies or nations? By out-cooperating them. We before me. Several years ago, I had the privilege of working with one of the most brilliant heart-led leaders I have ever known. He was CEO of Europe, Africa, and the Middle East for a U.S.-based company. 
Of the 150 countries in which the company was then operating, only one country, Germany, was showing profitability. We worked tirelessly, first in Europe and then through Africa and the Middle East, to turn around one country after another. It was grueling, but exceptionally rewarding work, during which this executive gave all of the credit for the turnaround to the local leaders on the ground in each area. He was a warm and caring leader who learned the names of each of his direct reports and their teams. He learned about their families, hobbies, and interests, and was the most amazing communicator I've ever seen. He spoke 14 languages fluently and spoke to each person on his team in their native tongue. He was a joy to watch. He endeared himself to everyone he met. They would have done anything for him, and they did. One by one, each country returned to profitability. There was one person in the company who did not feel that way, however, and that was his U.S. boss. He was envious and feeling very threatened. He could not let his pettiness go for the sake of the company and all of its employees and customers. He rewarded the European CEO for his efforts by adding Japan, their most troubled country, and then Asia to his list of responsibilities. As you might expect, little by little, Japan turned around, as did the rest of Asia. Not to be thwarted, the U.S. CEO added South America, long a trouble spot for the company, to what was by now the international CEO's responsibility. You guessed it, South America quickly responded to his deft touch. Having run out of geography, the U.S. CEO simply fired him. I was personally devastated. It was beyond my comprehension that anyone could be so selfish. It was beyond belief that he would put so many families' livelihoods at risk because he personally was threatened. Yet, that is exactly what he did. Within weeks, there was a mass exodus of talent, and the company has never recovered. You would know immediately the name and the products of this company. I can almost guarantee that you have at least one of their products in your home. Yet they're a shadow of what they could have been, were it not for the selfishness of one man. The international CEO knew the power of we before me. The U.S. CEO did not. The fate of the company was sealed by selfishness. Every day in thousands of smaller ways in virtually every company, this same drama plays out. It is the game of the selfish versus the team players in a struggle for the soul of the company. It is my hope that this podcast series will help reinforce the team players and enable them to recruit more to their ranks because we before me must become a core philosophy for any great company. Companies are created to accomplish collective goals, not individual goals. So it's completely logical that the goals of the collective are more important than those of any individual. Yet individuals consistently hijack the agenda or sap company resources for self-serving purposes. By becoming a we-before-me company, you can stop that behavior in its tracks. By declaring yourself a we-before-me culture, you can quickly get back on track by sticking to the team's agenda and goals. This does not mean that individuals and their needs are not important or that they do not need to be addressed 
Quite the contrary. As we will show in later episodes, caring about individuals and their needs is essential for success. They are just not as important as the needs and goals of the team. Eric Frohart, faculty member, puts it this way. Individuals matter. Teams matter more. Leadership shows the way. Charles Duhigg, in his excellent book, Smarter, Faster, Better, reviews a study done by James Barron and Michael Hannon, two business school professors at Stanford who set out to determine which kind of culture produced the greatest profits. The project lasted over 15 years and analyzed close to 200 firms. Barron and Hannon found that cultures ended up in one of five buckets. The star model, which was made up of only A players, the superstars. The engineering model, in which the predominant employees are engineers who focus on problem solving. The bureaucratic model, built around systems, processes, handbooks, and rules. The autocratic model, built around the wishes of the founder. And finally, the commitment model, which was built around employees who are hired slowly but are expected to stay for life. About half of the companies stayed in business for over a decade. Some of the companies they studied became the most successful companies in their space. Even after accounting for differences in company age, size, access to capital, changes in senior leadership, and the economic environment, the impact of culture on success was astounding. As you might suspect, the star model produced some of the study's biggest winners but they also failed in record numbers. They were less likely to produce an IPO than any other model. Their Achilles heel? Selfishness and rivalry among the star players. Everyone wanted to be the star. The only culture model that was a consistent winner was the commitment model. Not one of the commitment firms failed. They were the fastest companies in the study to go public, and they had the highest profitability ratios. They knew their customers better and shifted faster to serve them better. There was a stronger sense of trust among managers, employees, and customers. There were fewer layoffs, higher levels of training, and higher levels of teamwork. Perhaps most important, customers were more loyal because their relationships with tenured employees stayed intact. Conclusion. We before me drives company longevity and bottom-line impact. We at the Center for Heart-Led Leadership are often accused of being soft. We before me is not soft or hard. It's simply the right way to generate the greatest success and the highest profits. Adam Grant, the author of Give and Take, a business school professor at Wharton, proves in his book that building a reputation as a giver bestows endless gifts and successes over the course of your career. It builds your reputation and enables a large and powerful network. If you're skeptical, you need to read his book because his studies have quantified the benefits of being a giver and proved the ROI for being a nice person. He goes so far as to prove through his research that even when you know you are being taken advantage of, it is often in your best interest to go along because of the long-term impact on your reputation. We Before Me is a powerful, profit-generating business tool. 
A couple of years ago, I was having breakfast with Ken Blanchard, author of The One Minute Manager and dozens of other books that are must-reads. We were discussing ego and its horrendous impact on relationships and companies. I understood the egomaniacs and braggarts who pumped themselves up at the cost of others and the damage they could do. But I was asking Ken about the leaders who are fearful and therefore unwilling to make the tough decisions and take the risks that need to be taken to make a company truly great. I was calling them at the time the cowards. Ken quickly pointed out that they too are driven by ego because their fear is about the self. That was when it hit me like a lightning bolt. Selfishness was at the core of both kinds of ego. That changed everything in our curriculum and caused us to elevate we before me to our first core principle. Each time you find something awry in your company or team, check first to see who is being selfish or where we before me is being violated. I'll bet you'll find the problem right there. If you can build a culture of we before me, I know you'll find the kind of accelerated momentum you've longed for, the kind that can only be built with a team of people all putting out maximum effort on behalf of the group without regard for who gets credit. At the end of each project or initiative, you and your team will lie on the battlefield, exhausted, together, and victorious. Your heart will be full, and you will be fulfilled. It is a feeling like no other. And when you have rested, you will rise again in unison to do it again, because achieving success with a high-performance team is an addiction, a gloriously profitable and healthy addiction. You, too, will know the joy that comes from we before me. We've created application exercises for you so you can implement this core principle in your company. Head over to heartofleaderspodcast.com to download the exercises and access all of our other resources. We believe that Heart of Leaders is a movement started by boomers, accelerated by Gen Xers, and demanded by millennials. To learn more, find us online at heartofleaderspodcast.com, where we blog, post articles, and book reviews, and respond to your questions. We invite you to join the conversation.